if you're a visitor with us this morning, I hope that you can um, I hope that you can check in in terms of your heart and your mind. I'll try and, and, and draw you in as much as I can, um, and hopefully it'll have application to your own life. Um, we are we are studying a series here in church in Portadown, uh, which is basically a study of the Book of Acts. We've been going through it relatively methodically, trying to learn what we can. We're a relatively young church. We're two years old over it, just two and a half years old, and we're um, about to be moved out of this building. As Chris said, we have to vacate the building that our kids have been using um, for this weekend, and then we've got um, just the Sundays in March left, and then we're we're on a move again somewhere, and uh, we need the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding, and as we try to like find ourselves as a community of churches, as a community here, as a church here, we um, we felt there'd be nothing better to look at than the, the book of Acts, which details the journey of the early church. And when I went to school, we were often told, or even sometimes Sunday school, we were told that Acts was just simply a history book. And um, we, uh, I suppose I don't really believe that anymore. Acts is not just, it is, it tells us the history of the church, but we believe that it was spoken and inspired in and by the person of the Holy Spirit in order that we as the church may learn certain key principles and foundational principles in order to be that kind of a church. And that's our longing, really, that as a church that we would unleash the sheer power of New Testament, Holy Spirit-inspired church, that we would be that kind of a people and that kind of community. And so over the last year or so, we've been looking at um, a kind of number of sub-series, if you like, within this this um, big series called The Unfolding of the Great Commission, because this is what the book of Acts details. And so we looked at the first six chapters or so on the origins of the early church, and then we've taken a number of um, weeks and months to look at how the Spirit broke out beyond Jerusalem into new territories so the gospel could spread. And um, and now we have moved on to look at what the church actually looks like, which this word ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, right? Um, and so hopefully that's just bringing you with, with us a little bit so that you can understand. We're, we're in this bit in Acts. So basically after, um, at the end of Luke and at the start of Acts, Jesus has commanded his disciples to wait because The Holy Spirit's going to come and fill them in order that the gospel may move from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and on to the ends of the earth. This is why we exist, I believe. This is why individuals exist. This is why churches are formed. Not to create nice little safe places, as good as that is, but to unfold the Great Commission. There is an assignment from Jesus Christ, which is to take the gospel of the kingdom, this new rule and reign that is entering the world, to the ends of the earth. And um, and uh, the, the original community of Jesus' followers were centered in Jerusalem. And then um, it moved through persecution, actually, initially. Um, but then as missionaries went beyond, it moved into Samaria, and it moved into Judea. And then, and then it moved into the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, in a very dramatic way. And Paul, who was an apostle, one of the chief players in the expansion of Christianity, he is proclaiming the kingdom, and he's getting results. And he begins to see, as he proclaims the kingdom, that's the thing, when you proclaim the kingdom in the power of the Spirit, you get results, right? You might not always get the results that you want, but it will come. People will 
Because people are born to hear that message of good news and hope that the kingdom is coming. You see demons get kicked out. You stir darkness in the face. And you declare in and through the name of Jesus and his blood that, that there's something more powerful has entered the room or entered that space. See demons get kicked out. You see bodies get healed. You see people come to know Jesus. You see communities get formed on sacrificial love. And so Paul starts to see results. And what does he do with these people that have been set free, these people that have been delivered, these people who have been offered hope? He starts to form them in community. He starts to form them in little groups. Because God is a community. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is relationship at heart. And Jesus always talked about being in relationship with the Father when he was on the earth. And so Paul is reproducing something of the heart of God in and through these new converts, these people that were finding the hope of the gospel in Jesus. And, uh, and so what we've been trying to teach over the last number of weeks and what I'm just endeavoring to do over the next half an hour or so is to try and help you understand the beauty, the wonder, the mystery of the church. And I know that's a hard task because I know the church in general doesn't necessarily at times in this day and age inspire lots of beauty and wonder and mystery and revelation. But it is nonetheless the bride of Christ, and the way that Jesus wants to reach the world with the good news. It still is his bride that he loves. And, uh, and so we believe that the, the church is Christ's centerpiece plan for the world. Erwin McManus once said that the church, is to be the, genu- the church is to be the genius expression of God. And this is what Paul the Apostle, as he sees as he sees all these people come to the Lord, and as he sees Jews and Gentiles and male and female and masters and slaves and black and white, if we wanted to like think about our own context, or people from Protestant backgrounds and Catholic backgrounds, as he sees them come together as one in Jesus, forming relationships around his love and his commitment and his power, he starts to realize, this is the genius of God. This is the mystery that is now being revealed. And we are here at Emmanuel, we are convinced that this is true. And we want to give our lives to seeing God establish something that reflects something of that beauty, despite all of our imperfections. And so let me ground some of the thoughts that I'm going to have today in some scriptures in Colossians. And so Paul, one of the, pla- one of the churches that got established was in a place called Colossae. And so he wrote to these these early churches because he wanted to encourage them. And he wrote to um, the, the, the letters obviously called Colossians because that's where they were from. And this is what he said. The Son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the body. We're not supposed to be decapitated. We're supposed to be connected as the church to the the body. The church is the body, and we are connected to the head. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among all the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through the blood 
His blood shed on the cross. And then Paul goes on to say, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering. Right? Following Jesus isn't easy. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So Paul's saying, I, as a leader of the church, am willing to suffer, right? To reflect something of Christ's sufferings in order that the body of Christ can be all that it was intended to be. I have become, he goes on to say, its servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and in teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. <clears throat> that's, our, that's our goal. That, that as a church here, what we're, what we're endeavoring to do, that when we, this is, and I suppose I want to talk out of the heart of the leadership here. What we're endeavoring to do is, and what I'm endeavoring to do, and I, I need to look after myself first and foremost, okay? But as, as someone that God has chosen to give his life, to lay down his life for the, Jesus and his church, when we all stand before Jesus, I want to look Jesus in the eye. And I want us to look one another in the eye and say, we, because Paul goes on to say, so let me finish the verse and then make the point. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What end is he working towards? In order that we may present each other before Christ mature. When we get to heaven and we look Jesus in the eye, which, by the way, every single one of us will do. Like, first of all, we, we want to be in, to put it mildly. Like, we, want to, we, want, we want to have asked Jesus into our lives. We want to have known him. We want to have said, Jesus, you can come into battle. We want to have done that. But more than that, we want to, we want to go, well, we, we don't want to be kind of half prepared. We don't want to be like a bride who shows up on her wedding day that's just kind of, Throwing a few clothes on, a few rags on, but we want to be prepared. We want to be mature. We want to we want to present one another mature before Jesus. <clears throat> That's the kind of church we want to be. That's what we want to give ourselves towards, as leaders, but as people committed to one another, that we would contend with all the energy that Christ has given us in order to present one another mature before Christ. And what we see Paul is telling these early churches that Jesus' life and death and resurrection means that everything has been reconciled. We just read everything has been reconciled through the person of Jesus and he has become the head of the church, right? And so what I want us to think about today, I want us to think about Jesus is the head. We are connected to the body. These um, metaphors are really graphic. You can't really... And the, we, we, we don't really want to go there in our minds to think about how a head gets separated from a body. We're so we're supposed to be so connected. He is the head and we are the body. And so we need to be aligned. And this is what I really want to I really want to land some a few things today. But I really want us to realize the importance of being established in the local church. I don't mean just like choosing to go on a Sunday now and again. I mean being established, submitting your heart. 
no matter how much you get frustrated with it, no matter how much you don't like it, because you were born to be established in the body because the head is Christ. And you can do all the kind of like gymnastics you want in your own mind or even with the Bible to tell yourself that you can be a great Christian without the church. But I'll wrestle anybody with that one afterwards if you want to have a conversation about it because it's, it's not biblical and it's actually a lie from the enemy right? We need to be established, established in the body, submitting our hearts and minds to the body of Christ. It needs to be a posture of our hearts, not just like a quick decision we make on a Sunday morning. It needs to be a posture of our hearts to be established in the body, because that is the way that God has designed it. Christ is the head, and we are the body. And a few weeks ago, I I chatted here a little bit more about the design of the church. What does that body look like? And Jesus in Ephesians 4, not to get into it again this morning, but he gives us the shape of that in in the five-fold ministry. Christ went back to heaven, and he put into his church his ministries, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And uh, we want to see those gifts and graces released in the body of Christ because they give shape to the body and how it operates in the world in order to fulfill the mission of God. And, um, and one of the names that we hear give that grid, give, that, give language to the mission that God has called us to, is what we call the apostolic paradigm. Now, sorry if that sounds like a big phrase, and I'm not trying to use fancy terms, but the word apostle is a Bible word, right? We are sent ones. We are sent on a mission to see the world change. The word paradigm, just think pattern or think model. And, um, and what we are trying to say is the way that we understand the New Testament is not just a set of doctrines that people take for their individual life. It, it can be that, but it's not primarily that. It is the story of how a people who have acknowledged Jesus as Lord are being filled with his spirit to continue the mission of Christ to fill the earth with his glory. That's what it is. And, uh, and sometimes just by getting and changing your mindset, it can actually change the game. It's more than a game, but you know what I mean, figure of speech. I like this um, by Alan Hurst. Let me just read this. But this is why we're taking time as we study this to explain some terms. Many of the problems of the church that the church now faces can actually be resolved simply by thinking differently about the church and its God-designed mission in the world. In other words, by changing our metaphors or our paradigms of the church, we can change the game. The name that we give to this different paradigm of church is simply apostolic movement. It's not just turning up on a Sunday. It's not just playing the Christian game. It's surrendering our hearts to a movement to see the world changed. It's not new, right? So we're not introducing something new. It's actually ancient. It's in the Bible. It's in the ancient text if we would get back to it. And it describes completely the fluidity and dynamism of the spiritual phenomenon we see evidenced in the pages of the New Testament itself. Some churches are now beginning to reframe themselves as movements, and they're unleashing the sheer power of New Testament. Ecclesiology just means thinking of the church as a result. This is the church as Jesus intended it to be, a gospel-empowered, unfettered people movement perfectly designed for nothing less than the transformation of the world and the destruction of the forces of evil, right? In other words, right, sometimes by just changing our mindsets by what we understand about church, can change everything, 
can change how we understand how we are caught up in a movement to destroy the works of darkness. We're supposed to get righteously angry about some of the things that are happening in our world, knowing that in Jesus, the hope of glory, which we read earlier, we have something that is unstoppable. We have something that is a greater hope, a greater power, and a greater love than all the forces of evil that we see in and through our world in these days in which we live. And so we're trying to educate ourselves in how we understand the New Testament and what kind of church Jesus, who is the head, is calling us as his body to be. And so to jump back into the text, we're, we're like a, sort of halfway through the book of Acts, and we're at this point <clears throat> where the red dot there, you can see Jerusalem. The gospel over the first number of chapters has moved into these other places, and it's kind of moved up. You see that blue dot is on the right that says Antioch. It's moved up to this place called Antioch, and it's like pagan dark territory. It's like Gentile world. In other words, they're not Jews you live here. And so the message has moved, and Antioch has become like a significant church for the expansion of the rest of the gospel, because the gospel that Jesus said to the disciples is going to move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria onto the ends of the earth, right? And, <clears throat> and the, the story of Acts is telling us all those places that are mentioned on your left to, moving towards Rome is the story of Acts is telling us how it actually did that. That's the kind of gospel power that we get to be part of, okay? And, um, and so when we get to Acts 13, the, 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 the apostles are at Antioch. So visualize this in your head because they're going to be sent from this place in order to share the gospel. And it says this in Acts 13. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. It's interesting, the Holy Spirit said, isn't it? It doesn't say the prophet said or the, or the preacher said. It says the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit still speaks today. Don't let anybody tell you any different. He speaks today. He speaks to his church. He wants to inform it. He primarily does it through the scriptures. But he speaks. He speaks to us. And he spoke to the early church. And he said, set apart from his Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This place called Antioch becomes a significant location for the church. And um, this might seem like a little bit technical today. I hope it doesn't. But the reason I'm teaching it here is because <clears throat> we as an eldership and a leadership across Lurgan and Portown, believe that in this area, Jesus has called us to a strategic location. And now, I know outside of people who live in Lurgan and Portadown, people might not think Lurgan and Portadown is that strategic. They might not think Craigavon is the kind of area where is the center of the universe. And I'm not saying it is, by the way. But what we are saying is God has called us here. And <clears throat> we don't want to play a church we don't want to play Christian games. We want to give our lives to building a church in what we believe is a strategic location in order to win this nation for Jesus. Because we believe that this nation needs Jesus more than ever, north and south.
And um, and we and so what happens in the book of Acts is in chapter eleven you would read that when the gospel first came to Antioch, it's where people were first called Christians. It says that they were first called Christians, Christ-like ones, in Antioch. So in Acts chapter 11, two chapters before this, you would read about what would seem like that's a good local church. If like a church is trying to be a church in a place, and all the people outside of it go, they look really like Christ, let's call them Christ-like ones, Christians. Then you would think they must be doing a reasonable job, okay? But the time we get to Acts 13, what has happened is, that this has become not, ju- not just a good local church, but actually someone or somewhere that sends away people to further the gospel in new lands. In fact, they're willing to give away two of their best, Paul and Barnabas. Like, we don't do that in our churches today. We want to like hoard our best because they might be really good givers and they might be really important for like the ministry stuff that we're doing. And uh, it would make us feel better if we had more people in our churches. But here what we see is them laying on hands, recognizing the Spirit speaking, recognizing they're not trying to build their empire. They're actually trying to fulfill the Great Commission and they give away to of their best. And as we go through the next number of chapters, we start to see Paul as he's sent off with Barnabas on a number of different journeys where he's moving into all of these places that are on this map. Actually, I think I've got another one, right? He's moving into all these places, that little red dotted line. They reckon that he walked almost as much as Alexander the Great a few, cent- a few centuries later, who actually had like chariots and horses and all sorts of people wheeling them around. And, and Paul ministered the gospel with his friends and with other partners in all of those places. And along the way, he stops in some places. And what I want to say to you today is he stops in some places because he's intentionally trying to build significant churches in those areas. So he's preaching the gospel wherever he goes. It's not that he loves certain places more than others, but there are certain places he stops at longer than others. So with with my limited skills on like keynote and PowerPoint, uh, those big yellow arrows, okay? Those are what we would call like resource churches, like significant churches that were built not to draw attention to themselves, but built to serve the regions that were part of. You with me? Does making sense? So they were built to the, they were built to serve the regions. So so places like so Corinth there. We're told that Paul in Acts 6 to 18 spent a year and a half there. You see, sometimes we get the impression, particularly if you're like going through RE in school, like Paul just on, on a horse or something, or whatever it might have been in those days, and he just like stopped off place for a few days, and then he went to the next place. And then the next, you know, He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. He stayed in Ephesus for probably two and a half to three years, we're told in Acts chapter 19. Obviously, Jerusalem, down at the bottom right, is kind of mothership. It was a resource church, and Paul came back there. And then this place called Antioch, which I showed you in the other map, became a resource church. And if you can see these, not to get into the whole geography of these places today, but these places served those regions. So when Paul wrote to the book, the book of Ephesians, when he wrote to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, it was probably like a few pages, but then it would have been passed around probably at least potentially seven, eight other smaller churches within that area because it was serving that place. 
It was serving the church in that place. And so Paul established, took time to establish churches in those areas because these were cities. They were usually quite strategic, by the way. God uses all things together for good. He was able to use all the roads that the Roman Empire built to actually to, to, to bring the gospel, right? But like these were like, a lot of them were like, as you can see, ports, which was the main port, port, uh, form of transport in the day. And he's strategically going, if we could just get Ephesus. Like that's a pagan city. I don't know how much of this you know, but it was a pagan city. They worshipped a goddess called Artemis. And the whole industry was built around worshipping at this temple. All sorts of probably... Uh, like what we would call sex traffic in the day and prostitution was going on, like, and, you know, around this goddess, evil, wicked place, but in the world, sort of secular mindset, like thriving. And Paul says, can we get it? Can we get a hold of this city with the gospel? Can we get it? And then he goes to, like, Corinth, which is an interesting industrial city in its own. Can we get it? It's not going to come easy. We can't just like literally wheel in for a day, do a mission for a week and wheel out. We're going to like move there and give our lives to that. And let's see if we can get something established in the soil of this dark place that's actually destroying people's lives. And people aren't being free with this message that we've got that's more powerful than the message they have. And he starts to build these churches. And I feel, we might not feel it because sometimes when you live in your own place, you don't really understand the significance of it. But we feel... What about this area? What about this area of Mid-Ulster? What about if we can get a stronghold for Jesus Christ and his kingdom in this area? What if we can transcend the politics? What if we can transcend the sectarianism? What if we can transcend the poverty? What if we can transcend the fact that this area is one of the highest suicide rates in the area? What if we can transcend all that? And build a stronghold to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's not going to come easy. We're going to have to, like Paul said, contend strenuously for it. Because there are forces of darkness and evil that do not want that planted in the soil. But we believe that God has brought us to this point for this reason. And we believe that every single person here, particularly those of us who have committed to building church here, believe that you have been called here to help lay the foundations for that kind of a church. To be a city on a hill, to be a, a lighthouse, to, to, to give our lives to see the kingdom come in a strategic place. We sometimes, we call this like a resource church or an apostolic hub for sending people into the missional frontier. And I, and I, I just want to give you some things that I think make up that kind of a church because we're about to move and you know, in the interim, it looks like we're going to be moving to the town hall. I know for some of you that doesn't maybe resonate with your spirit. I know some of you maybe feel, I'm not sure that's, ooh, is there somewhere else, right? It is what it is. We're going somewhere and we're going to worship Jesus. But it's not the end, right? It's, not, it's a means to an end. The end is something bigger. And, be, and we dare not lose sight of that. And we, we, we want to pray our way into where God is leading us next. Because it, as much as I have loved this place, as much as we've saw people saved, healed, baptized, dedicated, built community, built new friendships, it's been special. Praying with people in this building, the way the Lord has given, it's been really, really special. It's part of me doesn't want to move. 
But there's another part of me who's always known this is not the end. This is not the end. This is not the end of the road. Because God wants us to establish something that can be a blessing in this area. They can see breakthrough. They can see real breakthrough. I can kick darkness in the face and like see the light come in in Jesus' name and see something beautiful established. And so I, I just want to give you, because I want us to hold on to this over the next number of weeks. I want us to pray away in this. And um, I, I don't have like chapter and verse for every single point. I'm just going to read what I think our resource church looks like, right? The, the characteristics, and I think a lot of the things I'm, I'm building out of the book of Acts and through the rest of Paul's letters, um, and I, I probably could give you a chapter and verse for most of them, but I haven't got them in these points, but I just want to read them. What, what do I really mean? What do I mean practically when I talk about this kind of church? So first and foremost, I think a resource church is a church with, first of all, a proven track record in its own town or city, like Antioch. First and foremost, it's a good local church, and it's a proven track record in proclaiming the gospel in an incarnational community, a community that looks like Jesus and how they love one another, of making disciples, which is part of the Great Commission, and of faithfully witnessing to Jesus Christ. I think that is, that is number one. If you're not doing that, then you can't be anything more than that, right? And so we, we want to be that first and foremost. Number two, a church which has enough, what I would say, spiritual mass. It's hard to be a resource when there's only like four or five of us, right? So when, when, when God brings a mature bunch of people together, which I feel he's done here, right, a mature bunch of believers, and converge them for a moment, that there's enough spiritual mass so that they can become centers for reproducing, for training, and for sending leaders into the missional frontier. It's been great over the last year to send, send Wayne and Sue to Spain, right? People that we love, mature believers that found a home here, and we, we've sent them to Spain. We've blessed them. We give to them every month because we want to see the gospel expanded in places beyond here. And we want that to become a regular thing where we're sending people with the gospel. Number three, we want to be a resource church, I think, is a church with tested leaders who embody the character and the competency of Jesus. They've been tested and that's what we're striving to give ourselves to and to become, and you can make your mind up whether we fit the criteria or not, all right? Number four, a resource church is a church which has become known as a safe place of investment for other leaders to orbit around, particularly those returning from mission. And so Paul needed somewhere to go after he tracked all around the place and was like shipwrecked and you know, eating all sorts of whatever, probably stuff, and these new He needed somewhere to come back to. He came back to he came back to Antioch, or he came back to Jerusalem. He came back to these places where he's going to be encouraged. That's what we see as a resource church. It's a church characterized by the Father's heart. And that's expressed in a genuine desire and ability to equip the saints and release people into their destiny. They're not trying to keep people for themselves. They're trying to release people to fulfill their destiny in every sphere of life. And the spiritual wisdom and discernment to know how to release them and to parent their transition well as they're released into what God has for them. It would be a church with a clear and consistent leadership pathway. So it's always thinking about who are we bringing through? Who are we developing? We're not going to ship off all of our potential people to like Bible college and Bible schools and never see them again. Yeah, that's good, but we're going to embody them, embed them in the life of the church. See them raised up so a steady stream of leaders are always developing. That was part of the early church. A resource church is a church that's ready to recognize and acknowledge and release like not just local leaders, 
But leaders that are what we call it translocal, we mean people that are sent beyond the local to establish churches. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. A couple more. We believe that a resource church is a church displaying integrity in its systems, ensuring that so that it can give administrative support and system support for new churches, especially in the early fledgling states. And so it's amazing, like in Lurgan, for example, over the years, we've been able to financially and in systems and structures, child protection, financial systems, governance systems, we've been able to reproduce through some of the experience we have that so that we can support and put good foundations in churches like here when we started or in Cara in Kurgavan or in Shalom in North Lurgan. That's the kind of a way a resource church serves other churches and that's the kind of church we want to be. It's a church stewarding movements through the multiplication of discipleship resources and reproducible materials. In other words, when John Wesley started the Methodist movement, he, he, he realized loads of people are coming to know Jesus. So how did, how did he steward that? Well, he started to like help people in small groups. He started to develop methods in order to disciple people that could move, which is where we get the term Methodism from. Because very practically, the people that were coming to know Jesus needed certain methods in place to help disciple. And as God releases more people from this church, we want, and some of you are called in grace to do that kind of thing. And then finally, in most cases, it doesn't always have to be the case, the church will possess, a resource church will possess a reasonably functional physical facility that will help it host larger gatherings, serve its local community, and the wider church in the nation. And so I, I, I don't fully know where God's going to lead us and what he's going to give us, but I hope he gives us something that we can give away. I hope he gives us something that we're not going to get all too like precious about like what paint is on the wall, right? So that we can, or we can get too precious about whether the kids can do certain things in the building because they might, right? Like I want us to give some, have something that we can give away to serve a local community, to host people well, in order that we release movement. We're not trying to hoard. We're not trying to build empires because that's what they did in Babel. Right? We want to surrender the monuments that we build to ourselves and release ourselves into the movement of the gospel so that we can see many others one for Jesus. And, then, and so these are just some of the things that I want us to keep in mind as we think about what we feel the Lord's calling us to establish in these days and how I think we have a biblical precedent to do that, backed up by how the Holy Spirit has spoke to us. And so I, I, I know... I know that that can maybe seem like stuff that we've maybe never heard before. That's all right now and again, isn't it? What, what, I'm talking, what I'm talking to you out of here today, and I, I hope it's okay to be vulnerable about this. And I'm being vulnerable about it because I want to say that if you ever feel that this is vain or pride-filled, then you can say to me about that because that's the last thing I want it to be. What I'm talking to you out of today, I, I hope is a place, my deepest prayer is a place of holy ambition. Holy ambition. To see the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a confidence in the gospel more than I ever had. Because I'm looking at the world, every other thought pattern, every other philosophy, every other worldview, it's not doing it. Secularism is eating itself. The way the world's trying to progress in and of its own steam, it's just exhausting itself. And it's letting people down. 
And it's not just like got it wrong. It's actually damaging human beings that God loves. And alongside that, I have more confidence in the gospel of Jesus than I ever had and of his kingdom. And so, and I believe that his greatest genius is his church. And so I'm speaking out of a place of holy ambition. I want to be part of, I don't know whatever phrase to use other than this. I want to be class, part of a world-class church. I want to be part of it. I want to be part of a church that people will travel to, not because they want to come and hear my preaching, and not because the building might be good, but because they see something of the life of Jesus Christ through His Spirit operating in such a way that lives are getting changed, people are getting transformed. I want to give myself to that. I want to lay myself down for that. I want, I am prepared. I want to lay my life down for that. And so if it ever sounds like pride, and if it ever sounds like, oh, I'm just looking to build, or the leadership just looking to build some fancy thing, come and talk to us, because we never want it to look like that. But we do want to give our lives to something that is stunning, that is beautiful. And we're not really good in Northern Ireland. We play this kind of false humility kind of thing, where we like, you know, we, we play down being the very best that we can be for Jesus. Why? Why? Gee, it, we are the we're the bride of Christ. We are we he is the bridegroom. And I know it's difficult for us guys to put ourselves in the mindset of thinking as a bride, but like even in that, like none of us none of us would really like really want for those of us who've been blessed to be married, none of us would really want like if our if our if our potential bride said this a few weeks before the wedding, like, you know, you know, things are a bit tight and you know, I'm under a bit of pressure, so I'm thinking of like, you know, just you know, just you know, not 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 really doing myself up that much for that day and you know, just thinking of just like throwing a few rags on and, you know, not doing much makeup and all like we know it's more than that day, right? We know it's more than that day. But can you imagine one but that day you know, for those of us who are guys that got to stand at an aisle and turn round as she walked up the aisle. We're like, holy smoke! You never looked like that before. That's a, this 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 is amazing, right? The sense of preparation, the sense of getting ready for that moment. And here's the thing: one day, there is going to be that moment. Whatever way you want to fudge the issue in our minds at times about standing before Jesus, one day we will stand before Jesus. And he will look at us. And he'll look at us with love because that's all he's ever done. But, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it, when we see the purity and the fairiness and the passion of his love in his eyes as he looks in it, wouldn't it be great that, to go back to our opening verse, wouldn't it be great if we all strenuously, with all the energy we have, did everything that we could to present one another mature before Jesus Christ so we can look like the kind of bride he wants us to be look like? Look like. Why not in Lurgan and Portadown? I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, and um, so I've been um, been able to be smug for most of the year. And uh, I got to see a little game last night, and they were humbled last night, to put it, to put it mildly. And uh, I was just listening to the interview afterwards. Sorry for those of you who don't like football. Um, just a quick analogy. And uh, the guy, Troy Deeney, who played for Watford, who scored against Liverpool, he said, you know, they've been unbeaten for 44 games. And um, all week, he said, we just thought to ourselves, you know what, at some point, somebody's got to beat them, so why can it not be us? Right? And so they went and had a crack at it. And they beat them, and they beat them well. 
Now, when we think about building church in Lurgan and Portadown, why can it not be the best? Like, not to be the best and other people say, but why, why, why can it not be here? Is God, like, you know, love other places more than here? Why, why can it not be here? Why can we not think that Jesus wants to do something that looks so beautiful, that looks so glorious, that it's worth giving everything that we have to see it established in the days ahead? That's what I believe God is calling us to. And in order that the movement can continue. And in the weeks ahead, what we're going to look at is, uh, in, in the days ahead, what happened was a cycle started to, to develop. Uh, what we call the Pauline cycle. Paul went to these strategic cities and he established something and he established local churches. So we went to evangelize, he proclaimed the good news. He established the local churches and he entrusted the faithful men and I believe women as well in order to see the church become all that God has called it to be. And so as we finish, this, this is our desire, this is our hope that we may present each other, everyone mature in Christ to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I just happen to believe that the overarching destiny of your life and my life is to give ourselves to Jesus and his church. And I'm not talking about just what you do on a Sunday. I'm talking about what you do every, every day of your life. But whether it's a teacher, a business person, a hairdresser, a builder, a stay-at-home mom in this season of life, whatever it is, I feel like that identity falls underneath your ultimate destiny, which is to live for Jesus and his church. And, um, and, and, and that's where, that doesn't mean it's going to come easy, but that's where ultimately you will flourish, right? The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, right? And then it says, planted were in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Where are you going to flourish? In the house of the Lord. In the courts of God. That's where we flourish. And, and I know, I know some of our churches have become places where people aren't flourishing. And as a leader of the church, all I can say is, I'm sorry about that. And I wish it could be different. And I also want to back that up quickly by saying is we don't have it all right. And we're not going to get it all right. But what if we give ourselves to going back to the New Testament and saying, let's model ourselves on that. Let's try and be that. Because it can change the way we think and it can change our understanding and in order, in order that it can change the lives of millions and hopefully thousands of people in the days ahead, particularly in this nation. And so what I'd love to do is just take a moment as I finish in prayer here. To allow you, I think God call, is calling actually some of you to respond this morning because I feel that some of you have been under uh, a kind of bit of attack from the enemy to not establish yourself in the local church. And I'm not saying it has to be here, but it needs to be somewhere. Because, and, and I'm just saying from Scripture, in, in love, that I don't think your ultimate flourishing can come unless you are, and feel like the enemy wants to miss, an un, I don't know what the opposite of a line is, but not align your heart with, with the local church, with God's genius, which is his family expressed through his people. He is the head, we are the body. Bring your heart, your life, your, your career, 
your children, your family, who God is bring it in under the alignment of the head who is Christ to be part of his body so that you can function for his glory. Anything other than that, I think, I don't mean that to sound like, you know, people have to make their own minds. Anything other than that, I don't think, allows you to fully flourish in your destiny. And as I say, it's, it's, it's good to be here on a Sunday, but it's more than that. It's bringing your whole life, whole life into alignment with God's destiny for your life. That's the principle of establishment, establishment in the local church. And so let's just take a moment, and then I'd love to pray for you. Take a moment just in the, in the silence. Invite the Holy Spirit to come. Why don't you, if you feel you need to respond this morning, why don't you just align your heart afresh with Jesus and with his call in your life? Just in these moments, I feel like it might even be one or two of us. I just need to just need to say sorry to the Lord for maybe a, a, a certain posture that we've had that needs to change in our attitude towards Him and towards His longing for us to be established. When we all stand together and I'd love to pray over us all before we before we leave. If you uh, feel like you know, just the Lord's been speaking to you throughout this message, and you feel like you just say, Lord, I just want to I want to give you my heart to speak to me more in this regard, and I want to even make a decision in the heart today. Maybe maybe you just even want to put your hand on your heart as a sign of just responding to the Lord as I um, as I pray over us today. So, Heavenly Father, we just want to acknowledge again, as we've read this morning, that you are the head, Jesus, and we are the body. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that we're not the head, Jesus. We thank you that you're the head. And uh, we thank you because of your blood, Jesus, and your sacrifice that we get to be part of your body. And, Lord, we want to be healthy. We want to function well. And we want to fulfill the assignment that you have in our life, which is to make you known, Jesus. To see your glory fill the earth. To expose darkness and to flood it with your light. And so, Jesus, in these moments, I just ask that our hearts would be aligned afresh and established afresh in the courts of the Lord and in the house of the Lord. I pray a flourishing, God, upon each and every person, God, as they make choices, O oh God, and as we make choices together to establish ourselves in the courts of the Lord so that we might become all that you've called us to be. Give us grace and energy and strength to contend for the presenting of one another maturely before you, Jesus, as we expect your soon and near return. 
And so, Holy Spirit, just continue on with us this morning. Thank you for the fruit, O oh God, of seeing people established in your church today and, and through the waters of baptism. We give you praise, God, for these lives, for Jonah, uh, for Lynn, and for Colin. We thank you for that. We thank you for flourishing that comes through establishment in your house. And we ask that you continue to bless us in our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you. If you'd like us to pray for you for anything or about anything, there is a ministry team here or myself. We'd love to do that. Um, We'd love to encourage you to stay around for tea and coffee. It's going to be out in the foyer there. We are going to clear some space here because you have to bring other stuff in. And if you are able to stay to give us a hand with that, that um, that would be brilliant. Lord bless you and have a great afternoon.